Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. <laughs> right, so we're going to start a new series today. Are you ready to receive the word? I hope you're feeling encouraged this morning. And uh, it's great to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to, give, I'm going to start a series this week. I, I, I've kind of called it Transformed, but I don't think that's what it's called. I called it Transformed because yesterday I was under pressure to get a name for it for social media. And so I came up with Transformed in a minute. And I'm not really sure that that's what it's about, although I'm going to speak about being transformed today. It's interesting when you start on something, right? If you listen, you, you, you tend to get a sense. There's the, the word is, there, there's the Logos word of God. That's, that's the word written and, or in your screens or whatever. And that's what we have every day. And it's true no matter what the time, no matter what the place, no matter what the circumstance. And then we have what's called the rhema word of God, the, the living, breathing word of God, where you'll know in your life, right? You can pick up the Bible at times and go, seriously, right? You know, I used to love those moments of, you know, Lord, well, well done. Haven't we? I'm just really, I really need a word right now. You flick through. You feel the Lord, I'm going to listen, I'm going to be led by the Spirit here. Psalm 174, brilliant. And you're going Psalm 174. There's only 150 Psalms, right? So you're, you're flicking, you're going, I definitely haven't heard Jesus in this one. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh no. And you get a, and you get a and it's hard, isn't it? But there's, there's a time actually when the Spirit of the Lord is bringing a word and it's, it's taken, and it might be called a word in season or any of this kind of stuff, but it's essentially where the Lord is putting an emphasis because the word speaks to the times that we are living in. Do you get that? It's not, it's not removed from what's going on in your life. It's absolutely about changing your experience of God and your experience of living every day. And so what I have felt over the, these first few months of, of the year, the Lord has been putting an emphasis actually on, um, on growing into his grace, into his experience of his grace, but also um, that thing of open hands, calf kamel at the start of the year, I mean, God's hands are open to bless you. But it's, there's been a, a theme, even on our Wednesday nights in Bible study, about the power of your thinking and about the battle for the mind. And so I'm going to speak about that over six or seven weeks. Other people will speak into it too. And I'm going to unpack one verse today. That's it. All right? Well, there'll be, no, there's going to be lots of verses for you Bible people. Uh, what do I say, you Bible people? I'm a Bible person. Awful handy in a pastor to have one who likes the Bible. Uh, but uh, just realize what I said there. A few weirdos who like the Bible. Uh, right? We're going to unpack loads of it because our heart and my heart for everything for you this year is that you'd walk into a deeper experience of God's grace in your life. I was thinking this week in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, um, how, how the, the, the word of God's grace changes everything, right? If you are burnt out or tired on religion and have been for, you know, when you encounter the grace of Jesus, it totally changes everything. It makes it upside down, turns it inside out. Uh, Malachi 3.10 is often a, a verse that is used to beat people to give, you know, we need your tithes, so we're going to threaten you with the curse, right? Malachi 3, if you don't give God all your money, he's going to like make your tires go flat and you'll crash on the motorway, right? You know, he'll get it out of you one way or the other. He will get your money some way, right? So God is like portrayed as like a mafia boss, you know what I mean? And like, you know, you come to me huh? and all that stuff. That was a mafia boss, right? <laughs> on the day of my daughter's wedding. So. That's a Godfather reference anyway. Shouldn't be quoting the Godfather in a sermon. But here's what happens. So what happens is we think, you know, so Malachi 3.10 is actually not about that. It says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. Do you know that in Hebrew, the, the, the number for grace is five, it's hay, and its pictorial representation is an open window. And what happens is people under the law, the Jews even to this day, don't get it. Because what happens is how can you see through into an open heaven? 
right? But we know under grace that what happens is the window of heaven has been flung wide open, so all of heaven is available for you today. Do you get that? And see, will I not open the window of heaven, God says, and pour out on you? That's what it actually says here. I will pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Somebody say amen, right? It's not good. That's the heart of the Lord today, and that's what we're gonna, we're gonna be looking into because it's, it's true that we need to receive by faith what the Lord has done through his finished work of grace, but we also need to learn to cooperate so that as the blessing of God is being poured out, we get to receive it and walk in it. And, you know, sometimes it's interesting in churches, even in our own church, I, I think, you know, there's a saying, isn't there, that sometimes when you don't know what you need, you think you need everything. Let me say that again. Sometimes when you don't know what you need, you think you need everything. So what happens is, you know, people will try a wee bit of this and we'll try a wee bit of that and we'll catch this wave and, you know, this man's saying this and this man says that and we take a wee bit of this, a wee bit of that, a wee bit of the other and we're desperate and it's because we actually haven't finally resolved, right, that all we need is Jesus and his grace. You don't need the, the latest wave. You need Jesus and his grace and it's more than enough. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna discover and I'm going to really encourage you to think about your thinking as we go through. And I'm going to show you why that's important as we go through this series. Because the greatest battle of this generation in this day and age, in Belfast today and in Ireland and the UK and beyond, is not being fought on the streets. It's not being fought in the realm of politics. It's not being fought in any of that. In the church particularly, the greatest battle of our generation is being fought between our ears. You see, let me tell you something. Before Eve ever ate a piece of fruit, she had a thought. And that thought was, and I quote, it's pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So what happens is she thought it and then she took it, the Bible says, and she ate it. Before David sinned with Bathsheba, right? And had her husband killed, right? Before he did that, it started with a thought. See that woman? She's beautiful. And then the actions came. Because how we think shapes our lives. The trajectory of your life today, every act that you ever will do today and beyond is preceded by a thought. And that one thought has the power to multiply into many thoughts that develop into what we call a mindset. And often that happens without us realizing. And our goal should um, be to be aware, of course, of our thinking but, and deliberately build a grace mindset into ourselves that leads to the best outcomes in our lives. I want to encourage you, as you go through this with me today, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Romans today particularly. Um, you know, just one Jesus-honoring, grace-filled thought has the potential to change the trajectory of your whole life and your eternity. Do you get that? Just one grace-filled, Jesus-centered thought. Because that's the epicenter of the battleground. The source of every word and deed that you do in your life comes out of your mouth and life begins in your thinking. You know, it's funny. Yeah, you know, thank goodness you are not. Who was it? Was it your man? Gokwan, you are what you eat. Was that him? Off the telly? Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> so much for my cultural references, huh? You are what you eat. Who said that? Somebody. <laughs> Some of these are pasty suppers. That's all I'm saying, right? Gordon Ramsay, was it? No, it wasn't. Anyway, you're not what you eat, right? You're not what you do. You are what you think. That's what Proverbs 23, 7 says. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
Let me just give you some Hebrew in that. The word think there in the authorized version means as you estimate or calculate. So it might, it's actually probably rendered a bit better as, as, as you calculate with yourself, that's who you are. Where you inwardly think, that's what you become. You get that? That's who you really are. So we're going to look at how do we get our heads in gear? Because here's the problem, right? The problem is that every, you know, where would you even start? How do we define it? How would we be better? Well, every toxic thought, every sp- uh, spiraling kind of emotional cycle that we, are, 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 we find ourselves, and every trap of the enemy that we somehow fall into, do you know where it starts? You don't need to walk around chucking stuff, you know, oh, giving it all that to the devil, right? Getting up and putting on your full armor. Come on, come on. Go knock the devil's melt in today with my sword of this and the breastplate or whatever, right? All that's really good, by the way. Um, you just don't have to f- any put it on like an agent every morning because that's weird, right? Straight up, straight up weird, okay? All of it starts with a wrong belief about God. Every single bit of it. Romans 8 says that. A mind that is set on the flesh leads to sin and to death. A mind set on the spirit leads to life and peace, Right? You set your mind on the flesh because you don't believe that God is true to his word and you can trust him. So whenever he says, I will do, if you go, I'm not sure that you will, you set your mind not to what grace has said, but what you think, you esteem, what you calculate. And in that wrong belief about God, that's where it all begins. Does that make sense? And so we have to learn how to, how to actually be like kind of fully in on grace, all right? Because it's not a one-time act. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment choice to move from chaos and confusion towards the peace of God. And so where are we going to start? We're going to start in the Word today. So if you do have your Bibles, just flick open at the first book of, uh, first book of Romans, the first chapter of Romans, because this is an incredible book. And you might be thinking, what the heck has this got to do with my life today? Right? Well, the book, the book of Romans was Paul writing to the church in Rome, and it is called the Masterpiece of Grace. So it's, it's a theological, like, uh, theological, it is a theological masterpiece on the gospel of grace and, and how we're supposed to live. Now, I, I could, it's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible, if not my favorite, after the book of Joshua. And so I love it. And Paul, at the very start of Romans 1.16, says, I am not ashamed of this good news. Can I just say, the gospel in the New Testament is often interchanged with the word grace. So at the very start of all of what he's about to lay out, he goes, I am not ashamed of God's grace. Why? Because I, I'll tell you why. Because you know, you'll see in the, in the journeys of Paul through the whole book of Acts and stuff like that, whenever God's grace is proclaimed, religion rises up, law rises up and points the finger to take away the seed of grace that's been planted in your life. Because the work of the enemy is to keep you wrapped up in yourself and your own self-effort. Because when it's about your self-effort, you never see the fullness of God, the open heaven that, that God has for you. But when we rest in the finished work, the heaven is open and God moves. Do you get that? And so what happens is Paul at the start of this, he's just about to lay out lots of things, but he goes, let's be really clear about something. I'm not ashamed of this. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. What do, what do you need today? Do you need healing? Do you need breakthrough? Do you need hope? What do you need today? Is it, do you need something for your future? Do you need something fixed? Whatever your question is, the answer is Jesus. And Paul says, so don't be ashamed of grace because that's the power of God to work his good grace in your life. 
Do you get that? So we're not going to be embarrassed about it. We're not going to be ashamed about it. Because I'll tell you what will happen in the world today. And it's not even about the world. It's about, the, you know, even religious thinking in ourselves. We're going to, going to talk about that. Because even the religious bit of it in ourselves will go, ah, that's okay, but... You know, I want to believe, but I need to be careful. I need to balance this out. Is this absolutely true? Can I fall fully into the goodness of God and trust that he is enough? Because surely that's too good to be true. Don't call me Shirley, you say, all right, okay? (laughs) Airplane reference. Oh, it's all going movie-itis this morning. Do you know that one? Anyway, all right. Surely that's, anyway, boom. Hard crowd this morning, Ryan, let me tell you. So that's why he says, don't be ashamed of this. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about the book of Romans, let me just quickly give you like a 30-second overview. In chapters one and two, what happens is the Gentiles, he talks about the the, the state of the world. The way people think the world's crazy today, just go and read Romans one. There is nothing new under the sun. Do you get that? Nothing new under the sun. Everything that's going on today, we might have it multicolored in our faces, on social media screens, in every way you turn. But make no bones about it. It's not like people are becoming more deviant. They've always been that way. Romans 1 says that. It talks about the Gentiles and how completely messed up the world is. It talks about how in their hearts, their hearts are darkened and they do all sorts of crazy stuff. And we kind of look at that today and we go, flip me, right? It wasn't like, you know, this lie that people... You know, there's a lie that says, well, why do you need Jesus anyway? Sure, people are on this trajectory of getting better. We're on this whole thing of improving. No, we're not. You know, without God, we're rotten to the core and we'll always stay that way. But one moment with Jesus and he transforms you forever. All right? There is light and there is darkness, folks. Right? That's the truth. And an unregenerated heart, okay, is capable of all sorts of wickedness. Right? So Paul lays that out. Really great start. Way to win them over, Right? These are all dirty hallions, he basically says, right? That's what he would say if he was from Belfast. You dirty brutes, look at all that dirty stuff you're up to, right? And then he says about the Jews, and in chapter two, it's all about, one and two is all about the Gentiles and the Jews, basically saying they're the same, they're just lost in, in religion and all the rest of it. So then in, in chapter three, he starts to go into, so given all that, how are you ever going to be made right? And it's about righteousness by faith. He says there is a righteousness revealed, Romans three, apart from the law, and it's by faith. As Abraham believed in chapter four, he uses Abraham as an example and David and went, they believed and now they are righteous. So it's kind of going, whether you're in a mess because of your sin or whether you're up to your oxers in religion, it doesn't matter. You've just got to believe. You got to stop doing, start believing and start receiving and you will see the open heaven of God. All right, And then five, six, and seven are amazing, absolutely amazing, because he starts to go freedom from these four big things, wrath, God's not angry with you anymore, amen? He's not upset with you anymore. You've been freed from wrath. You've been freed from sin. Isn't this good news? There's not one victim in this room today or listening online. Victimhood is done. It might be the narrative of the world out there to blame everyone and everything for whatever's going on, but according to the word of God, grace is greater in your life. And when you encounter grace, sin is defeated forever. Sin has no hold on you. I think that's cracking news, right? Sin has no hold on you. Flipping brilliant. Have you ever felt like a failure going round and round and round, going, I can't get it, I can't get it, I can't get it? Oh, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, would you release me from this body of death and all that stuff? 
You know, read the Bible. It's already there. You have been freed from the power of sin. No longer any hold on you. Then he says this in 6. You've been freed from law. Even better. It's not just that you've been freed from sin. It's like one thing to be freed from sin, but then he goes on to law in, in, in 7, and he goes, look, the whole thing is, the more you try to try, the, in your trying, all you're doing is making it worse you strengthen the very thing you're trying to get out of when you are under law. So here's the great news. Every bit of law is done for you. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law for you. So every time you feel a demand when you go to scripture, if you do, then I will do, says the Lord. You can say, thank you, Jesus. He did it for me. And so I am free. Good news, right? And then in Romans 8, holy smokes, you're free from death itself. Isn't it brilliant? <sighs> 9, 10, and 11 is all about God's righteousness being worked out in the history of the Jews and the Gentiles. And then we get to my point today, right? My point today is we get to Romans 12. And chapter 12 marks the transition in the book of Romans, that epistle, because everything up until the first bit, right, is like the theological teaching. And then in chapter 12, he transitions, he goes, right, let's get super practical, and do you know what I love about that? There is a demarcation in the word between this is where you're taught, now this is what you do in response to what you've been taught. Do you get that? It's not just all up there. Because you know what? As I love to say, on a wet Tuesday when the wind is lashing and the rain is lashing off the windies and you don't know which way to turn, a brilliant theological understanding of the word of God will get you so far, but we need a practical experience of, of the truth of God, don't we? All right? So this is what Paul does when he gets to Romans 12. He goes, I've given you all the background. I've given you all the, all the, the, the teaching. I've shown you now that you're set free from all of this stuff. Now, let's get it into action. Right? That sound good? So let's, let's go. We're going to go old school. First, I'm going to read Romans 12, 1 to 2. <clears throat> right. I, be, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren. This is class. I'm doing this on purpose so that I can actually make sense of it, all right? Um, has anyone been beseeched recently? Does anyone actually have the first clue what that means? Anyone? Do you do that up in like Balamina? Here, boys, we're beseeching the day. I have no idea what it means. But it's in there, so we're going to read it. Oh, the Balamina Brigade are giving me looks here. Mm. Amen. Lessons, that's all I'm saying. You'll not know me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, that's not the people across the road, all right? Boom, boom. <laughs> the Presbyterians were, I am on fire this morning. By the mercies of God, do you know what it is? It's because my chest is sore and I'm overcompensating. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Right, let's put that into real language, okay? So we'll go to the message version. So here's what I want you to do. He says, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, right? You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I'm gonna come on to that. Instead, fix your attention on God. 
You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. All right? So let, let me quickly unpack this first because that's the point of, of today. And I'm going to give you lots of little references. You might want to write these down, okay? Or just take a wee note of them because they will really help you. He says, therefore, I urge you. Let me just say that. Or I beseech you. Therefore, I urge you, right? In the language, that is not a command. It's an, what's called an exhortation. It's an encouragement. And Paul is encouraging you because he knows that, he can't, that the Lord can't force this on you. So even though he spent a load of time laying out the finished work of Jesus, the point of, of, of encouragement and not command, right? Because sometimes when we read the word through the lens of law, what happens is everything becomes, I need to. It becomes demand-led. And then when it becomes demand-led and we can't do it, we feel like failures and condemnation comes. So actually he rules back on it at the very beginning. He goes, look, right? I'm encouraging you. And it's this really, like the beseeching exhortation piece is really strong. He's, he, it's almost like if you were with someone, you know, you'd grab them by the ears and go, listen up. This is really, really important. Okay? Like, do, 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 do. you know, it's like, you know, get their attention. Right? I really want to get your attention because this really matters. Like he says something. In view of God's mercy. See, we read this stuff really quick. Just, so I really want to encourage you in the view of God's mercy. Now, the first question I have when I read that is, what do we know? In view of what? Because you're going to try, I'll tell you what the world says. That, oh, you, you, you just change your thinking. My question is, change your thinking to what? Right? Because he's saying, don't be, don't be dragged down by the culture. So there must be something else that we transform our minds to. Like actual detail. Do you get that? Because if it's not Jesus and his grace, then, then Paul's not making any sense because what are we left with? What we think, what you think, what everyone else thinks. But he, and he, he's clear to us, don't be dragged down by culture. Don't fit into it so quickly that you don't even recognize what you take on board. So he says, therefore, I'm encouraging you, let's look at God's mercy. Let's look at our whole lives, our whole thinking, remember, through the lens of his mercy to us. When you see this in Romans, um, because in Romans, what, what he's talking about. Like, even as I speak these over you, I want you to just go, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? Because everything I'm about to say needs to be understood against this backdrop. This is the context, and if you miss it, you'll miss the whole thrust of what Paul is trying to say. Because transformation, being changed, does not happen any other way other than through a truth of my God, Jesus has finished work. So he says, listen to me. In light of all this, I'm going to start to make it really practical. Your thinking has to, be, has to start to be renewed and transformed, changed only against the backdrop of Jesus' work. First and foremost. Because this is what he's done. In, Roma, in Romans 4.1, I'm just going to call out what he's talking about. You might want to write them down. In Romans 4.1, he says... In Christ, you are justified. You're made right by God through faith. Romans 4.1. Remember, he's just laying it all out. And he's started going to get practical. But, so he says, in view of God's mercy, 
See, do you know what happens? I'm making an absolute hand fist this. It's better in my head than what's coming out. What happens is we jump into the Bible and we pick up a verse, right? And we kind of go, I'd love to know how to do that. But we don't set it in the context of where it was written and who it was written to. Do you get that? So there we go, therefore, in view of God's mercy. We, most people go, what is God's mercy anyway? I don't know it. Well, Paul's just spent 11 chapters laying it out. That's the point. And they would have read the whole thing from start to end. So it would have been fresh in their minds what I'm just about to read to you. Does that make sense? So first of all, you are justified by faith. All right? In Romans 4.1, you are absolutely right today because you believe, not because of anything you did. And you will, you, you will forever, ever be completely acceptable to God by simply believing. Amen. Think about your messes. Doesn't matter. Right? You might need to walk through a mess. If you make a mess, okay, you can clean up your mess, but God will never count it against you. In fact, he will work it all for good and come on to that one moment. That's the outrageous nature of God's grace. In Romans 5, when he says, you have peace with God. God's not angry. God's not upset. God's not frustrated with you. You have RNA in, in, in Greek. You have total peace with God. That means you can, at any stage, any time, approach him boldly. Why? Because there is nothing in the way. In view of God's mercy, you've got peace with God. Oh, shall I keep going? Uh, the second bit, Romans 5.12. You are righteous. These big words. Righteous, totally acceptable to God. Look at yourself today, and you'll see all the wrinkles and everything else. You'll know all the stuff on the inside, but he says, in view of God's mercy, Romans 5, 12, you're completely righteous. Hallelujah. Totally acceptable to God. Romans 6, 1, you are dead to sin, right? And raised to new life, right? Isn't that awesome? Like, as so many people trying to break the power of stuff in their lives, self-help books, this, courses on that, you know, all the rest of it. Go to the gym to sit around for a couple of hours. <laughs> He's not getting away with that. I mean, I'm, I'm casting this one up as many times as possible. You've been bluffing my friend for years. But <laughs> your goose is well treated. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> have to sit there for three minutes. I do. <laughs> Dead to sin, right? And raised. Who, who, think about sin and all its consequences, the upset, the turmoil, the, the, the sickness and all who, who, when you hear that word, I want to be raised up to a new life. Like, did sin down there, and that's dead now, and I'm raised up above it. Does anyone go, amen? That's what he's talking about right there. That's God's mercy to you. All right? In Christ, you are set free from sin and misery, and you're able to follow the Spirit of the Lord in you. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now, I said it a few weeks ago, no condemnation. Let me remind you, Katakrima, it's not just what you did, the punishment that was due because of what you did. Both of them, Jesus says, no, I've paid the price. Therefore, by definition, ruling out without any exception, if you're in Christ today, you will never be punished again for your sin. In Romans 8, verse 5. Isn't this brilliant? In view of God's mercy... Like some of us wonder, why, how can we get our heads in gear? We fill it with the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Man, it'll blow your socks off. Let me keep going. In Romans 8, 5, it says, We are free not to walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. <coughs> um, what does that mean? Well, now it's, it's like the whole thing of sin being defeated. We don't have to do all the stuff that we used to do before. 
You know, we have the power of God, which is greater than anything else that comes against us. And so we're no longer victims. You're not powerless. Why? Because if Christ sets you free, you're free indeed. That includes sin and all the stuff that goes with it. Isn't the word of God powerful? In Christ, we're daughters and sons and heirs of God. What I say about being an heir is you have everything from God, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. That's why an heir inherits. Romans 8, 18. We have a glorious future. Anyone? Who's believing for that? Who looks forward and goes, or looks forward and goes, Praise God, Jesus is with me, and my best days are still to come. Anybody? Amen. You've got a glorious future. That's not me whipping it up like some kind of, you know, pound shop televangelist. That's the truth of the Word of God. Your best days are always in front of you. God is always working out His good purpose for your life. Yesterday is gone. The past is no more. As far as the east is from the west, He's removed your transgression from you. And He says, lift up your heads and believe that my grace is enough for you. Amen. Oh, brilliant. I'm going to get saved in a minute. This is awesome. I've lost my place. Romans 8, 26. Every one of your prayers is heard. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Every single prayer. If you've ever felt like God didn't hear you, or that he didn't listen, or that he chose to not do something for you, and then the devil's come along and says, because you're this, because you're this, because you did that. Let me tell you something. The word of God says this. There is nothing standing in the way between you and him. So even if you didn't have it in you in those days to speak it, with big bold words of faith, and all you could muster was a groan, he heard it. He heard it. Nothing wasted. Do you hear me? Somebody needs to hear that today. Some of you feel like when I talk to God, he doesn't hear me. Because of this, this, and this, and this. The devil will have you so wrapped up in your past, saying, well, why would he listen to you? Because you're just this. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what Jesus says today. Every sin. In fact, before it came out of your mouth, I knew. Isn't that good? Every group, every sinner, you know. And not even, you know, Religion will have you going well. The form of words, and the, did you get it right? Did you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? And, and all that stuff. Some days I just didn't even know what to say or how to say it. And I can tell you now, the Lord was not standing in front of me going, you didn't get your order right. Okay, so get back to the gates and start again. Right? Do you know what he says? What it says in the book of Peter? Just come to me and cast your care at me because I care for you. You get that? I care for you. Isn't this grace just I care for you. I can enter any way. Do you know what it says? You know what? Some of you might find this early. It's it's not. What it says, we're sons and heirs. We approach boldly. We don't approach with our heads down. Now, remember that song, um, I could only imagine. Oh, I can't sing. What a terrible. <clears throat> Do you remember that song? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance before you, Jesus, or will I be still? You know that one? 
and proper soccer mom, US type kind of. But it was an interesting song. It was a call. I can only imagine. I, that song haunted me. I used it. Because do you know what I thought? Actually, the Lord used it to minister to me. Because I thought, if the Lord was preaching here today on the stage, I would be the guy who would probably stand at the back with my head down. Truthfully. And go, it's all right, everyone else can bless. I'm, I'm, I'm okay here. And the Lord started to speak to me and go, really? I'm like, yep. I'd be really happy just to, like if it's a room, just to get in. I just, as long as I'm not on the other side of the door, right? But I'll stand at the very back and there's 20 million people in front of me, it doesn't matter. The thought of like dancing before the Lord and just looking at him face to face, he must be kidding me. No. He starts to minister. And he starts to go, hey, hold on. And I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm okay back here. Don't, you know, almost like don't notice me. Right? Don't notice me. And the Lord says, no, listen, I care for you. See you, I care for you. So come forward. Lift your head up and I need to bring it to you. Because you're in the presence of love and self. And it took me a long time actually to kind of go, I'm still, I'm still, uh, I don't know about dancing. I just generally don't dance, right? <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, if I can write this down, if you ever see me dancing, it's probably one of the signs at the end of the age. <laughs> like blood and thunder and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, then there's wee brackets and two good dances, right? <laughs> because that is just not me. I remember being in the church in Sheffield with, uh, when Penny and I were curtain, and she was a chef at university, and um, because we were good Christians, she, I would, she would bring me to church on a Sunday, seriously, and um, it was great. That's not a bad thing, what I'm saying is, you know, I went to my own church all the time, and I wanted to spend some time there, but we had to spend the whole Sunday in church because she was serving there. It was this wee girl. She was a beautiful wee girl. I was supposed to be like three. I was helping the kids' church. And uh, they were doing the whole, okay, kids, come on up and dance. And I was like, oh, nightmare. And this wee, this wee kid, um, so Penny's giving her a lot of front. And, uh, <laughs> and there's this wee child. And she looked like, you know, like Shirley Temple. She was beautiful. And she had a wee dress on and her wee hair. And Sheffield is in Yorkshire. And uh, weird accents, hello, duck, everyone's hello, duck, hello, pet. Well, this wee one sat and I said, um, and he was like, come on, you, you up and dance, and I'm just gonna. And she just looked at me. <laughs> I don't want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> and I said, she doesn't want to dance, and she just went, I don't want to dance. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, you sent me a job. Hilarious. Anyway, hurry up. Rotate 28. God works everything for your good. You know all the stuff right now? I bet you all you have lists of stuff where you're going, what the heck is that about? Anybody? Lord, what are you doing? What are you moving? There is a promise here that even though you can't see it now, let me speak it over you. There is going to be a day where you go, flip it all makes sense. Do you get that? Keep your faith. Keep your head up. Because the Lord, it doesn't matter what you can see in the immediate day today. It may feel like it's a hundred miles away from where you think it should be. But he is weaving it all together for good. 
There is a purpose behind everything. Not that he sends things like sickness, but he will make it come for your good. And anything that has been stolen from you, anything that has been taken of you by the enemy, by evil, let me tell you now, the promise of God in this is that every time he pays you back, it's better quality and quantity. So keep your faith. Do you get that? All right? Keep holding on, not to anything other than the fact that you are righteous in love. Right? Oh, Lord. There's a few more. Romans 8, 33. There's no charges laid against you. Isn't that awesome? Who's accusing you today? Your conscience? Other people? Who's pointing the finger at you? Let me tell you what the Lord says in Romans 8, 33. No charges laid against you. Abbot, Abbot, no charges. It's so completely outrageous. Religion has no bread for this. But you know who's going to pay? Who's going to pay? Jesus pays. Every time. Romans 8, 37. In Christ we are conquerors. Alright? I've got to go quickly. Romans 8, nothing, 38. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Oh, I love that. And now in, in, in 11 it says, In Christ we're grafted into the tree of Israel. We're part of the people of God. That's it. That's it. What about the end times? Now, so he says this, in view of God's mercy, is anyone encouraged by God's mercy in their life? Yeah. Yeah. See if you're not, can you just, if somebody's not nodding the side, can you just check that they've got a pulse for you? <laughs> that would be really helpful this morning, just make sure you haven't cocked it, because here's the point. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying the world will go, just think nicer thoughts, you know, search for the hero inside yourself, all that stuff. You know what I mean? Stop it. Love <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's hardly worth the drive. That's what I'm thinking. The world goes search for the hero inside yourself, and you know, strong. <clears throat> play those tips in your bedroom. You don't know, hit play. You are strong. You are beautiful. You are gorgeous. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Never worked for me, that's all right. <laughs> it's all nonsense. So Paul says, no, listen, sometimes you just got to lay out what God's mercy to us is like. It's crazy good. It's crazy good news. That's why Paul says, see everything I'm going to tell you? Why would we be ashamed of that? That's the power of God right there to change every bit of your life. So then he says, do not conform any longer, in Romans 12, too, back to my key verse. Do not conform any longer, if I need to go quick, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This world conform means to act in accordance with prevailing standards, attitudes, or practices. The pattern of this world in Greek is, uh, is it means an age, it means an age or a time, and it's characterized by popular ideas and beliefs. So what he says is this, don't, um, literally, don't join yourself to all the popular ideas of the day. Or, and then in the message it says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Now there's two things I want to say very quickly on this. Number one, before we all go, oh that's all it's about the dirty beasts out there and all the dirty stuff they're doing. That's not just what he's saying. Do you know what, for us, like many of us, and I think there's a huge majority of people who when we look out into the world today, we just kind of go, that's bonkers, right? And, you know, and I am not going to partake in, in clearly what is your mental illness. And you're not going to force me to do it either, alright? But let's not lose track of, of, of some of that and think it's all about us versus the world. It's not. 
You know, people don't be surprised in Romans 1, don't be surprised when people who don't know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus. Like, why does the church stand in judgment? We should be going, aye, fair enough, because if you don't know Jesus, that's the way you behave. Why? Because Paul told us that in Romans 1. That's why he says the goodness of God has appeared, right? Teaching us to say no to that, the grace of God, rather, has appeared. Teaching us to say no to ungodliness and to live after the Spirit. Where the church ever got off thinking we can point the finger at the world and tell them what's wrong with them? People who don't know Jesus behave like they don't know Jesus. It's been in the Word since day one. They need the grace of God, so stop pointing the finger and extend some grace and love to them. Right? Not saying bend the lines. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he is the only king. We believe that there's only one way to get to know God. We believe that one man, one woman in a, in, in a homogenous marriage is God's best. We're not going to settle down like that. But at the same time, we're not going to judge you if you want to feel something different. All right? We're going to bring in Jesus and let him change your heart. Because there's no way I ever will. All right? That's the, that's the gospel. People who don't know Jesus will behave like they don't know Jesus. Our job is to introduce them to Jesus so that in view of his mercy, their hearts can be renewed forever. Amen? Amen. I digress, okay? But here's the thing. It's not just that. It's not just about the out there's. I think most of us get that. Paul has not just outlined sin, so we all point the finger at the sinners. What did he also point the finger at? Law. You know some of the most popular ideas for us today as, as people in the church is that you earn for what God has given freely. That you are never quite good enough. That you're always somehow just not making the grade. The popular idea in culture in religious circles is you can never fully believe in the goodness of God. Why? Because you're not good enough. And Jesus loves you, but if you don't get your act together, my friend, then you are not, you might not even make it to heaven for goodness sake. That's the end. Why? Like seriously, how do you know? Well, you know, you could sin yourself out of God's grace. What complete nonsense. Because every time that sin appears, the word says that his grace overcomes it still. So at what point do you out-sin the grace of God? You never out-sin it. In fact, what happens every time you make a mess? You get further into grace. So the popular ideas and culture, some of us need our minds rewired, right? Because we've grown up with these ideas. Right? That, you know, it's not just, you know, on one end of the church it's crazy, you know, don't read the Bible, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, will he heal, all that kind of stuff. You know, don't even get into the silly arguments, right? You know, does he want you to prosper, yes or not, is God bigoted, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. I, I, think, I think the biggest popular culture ideas that, that we need to be rewired from is law. Quite frankly, if you want to be. The law wasn't given the Gentiles like you and me, unless you're Jewish. <laughs> That's a surprise for some of you. The law was given to the Jews, folks. It wasn't given to the Gentiles. That escaped us. Some of you have seriously never thought of it that way. Yeah. Unless you're a Jew, the law was not given to you. I'm a poet, don't even know it. Anyway. But what we do, we still have the mindset, right? We've read stuff and not understood it. And had the mindset that we need to earn for God to love us. No, you don't. You were taught it probably. How to think as we go through this, because I'm just going to give you this last word of transformation. Where did you get your ideas from? Friends, books, ministries, hearsay, what other people think? 
That's why it says in James 1 verse 6. You know, we doubt we're like a wave, you know, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the winds, right? We've got to renew our mind to, in view of God's mercy. First. So let me just finish this one point. Is this okay? You feel encouraged today? Yeah. Right living is always as a result of right believing. So in this series, I don't want you to be focused on simply right living. Right? Holiness is important. Fearing God in the sense of respect and awe for him. Praying, giving, reading our Bibles, all that, serving in church, being committed to church family is really important. But you'll never perform your way to All those things are good. But you can't make a decision to want to do those and do them consistently. You're going to let stay. You've got to believe right and then you behave right. And at, in this series, we're going to go after the roots and we're going to learn what it means to transform our minds. I just want to finish with this. Isn't it interesting that? The, the, the battle, if you like, is not about behavior, but it's about inward transformation. When you're anchored on the unshakable foundation that you are righteous, acceptable, and loved by Jesus, your outward world is going to come into line with the truth, and you'll start to produce the fruit of righteousness in your life. Amen. I love this. Transformation. Be transformed. I'm going to talk about this. The word is actually metamorphic. Um, uh, I suppose it's, it's, it's used metamorphosis, that thing of caterpillar to butterfly. Uh, do you know what I love about this? What does Paul say with this and finish? Be transformed. Do you know why we should never be ashamed of the gospel of grace? Do you know what the world has to offer? Or religion has to offer? It has no way of being transformed. The world says, you can cope. Just be better than me. Law will say, don't hope too much or dream too much. You are what you are, and you'll never be more than that. And in this masterpiece of grace, Paul steps in and goes, no, let me talk about you being completely made new and walking into that. It's the only message that goes, not cope, get through, hang on, it's be transformed. Who's not going to go, amen, be transformed, that's flipping brilliant. That is awesome. There's people out there making tons of cash today, peddling, you know what? We'll just keep you on the level. Transform your mind to what? The hero inside yourself. I sure that works. And here's Paul going, in view of God, the king of the universe, the one who loves you and gave it all for you, in view of what he's done, let that truth so capture your mind that your whole life is transformed. Yeah. That's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, yeah. That's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The one thing about it, it's a process. And over these, but Joe, what I think we're going to do over these next few weeks, you know, there may be years of undoing and unlearning in some of you that needs to happen, right? What we're going to learn is it says, you know, you know, it says be transformed, metamorphic, go through the process, right, of seeing this experience of God happening in your life, it's a process, you'll walk into it, unlearn and doing lots of and by the renewing of your mind. And what's interesting is this, this is my very last point. He says, it's really interesting, he says, by the renewing of your mind and not by the renewing of anything else. Why is that? You know about this? See, the law will have you thinking you're not good enough. 
your pneuma, your spirit is still corrupt and it's still dirty and it's still awful. Paul has just spent 11 chapters going, you're brand new, <laughs> right? So he says, you don't need to be born again. You don't need to be saved again. You don't need to be made new again. You are perfect, folks. As perfect now as you will ever be. So he's not saying, be transformed by the renewing of your spirit again and again. You don't need to keep running to the Lord again and again, save me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't need to do that. He says you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your nose. That's we say nose, right? It's actually the word. It says, you're, let me tell you what it means. The God-given capacity that each of us is given to reason and to think, the mental capacity to exercise reflective thinking. For the believer, it's the organ of receiving God's thoughts. Isn't that amazing? So actually in this, don't think, oh, I'm not good enough. You are good enough. We just got to renew our thinking to it. Right? Be transformed, not by getting saved again and being good again, because that's you're already perfect. Be transformed by getting this thinking pointed towards everything that he's done in his mercy. That's the gospel. Somebody give me an amen and stand Transformation. And all those people said, Amen.